very well done. Thank you very much. It always is impressive when God puts just the right person in just the right place with just the right skill. And you met that today. So thank you for being here. And thank you for playing. We uh, are continuing a study that Pastor has launched. And we are studying the fruit of the Spirit. And I would invite you, as I said earlier, if you'd find a pen in the pew in front of you, um, and use your bulletin. There are a couple of notes I'd ask you to take as we walk through a text this morning for the next few minutes. I don't know about you, but when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, and Pastor talked with us last week about the fruit of love. The basic premise is that you and I are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We've been studying the Holy Spirit since mid to late April of this year. And pastor then moved from the person and presence of the Holy Spirit into the outcomes or outputs or manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. And you can read the fruit of the Spirit on the front cover of our bulletin today. Pastor last week talked with us about love and he used the Good Samaritan as an example. You'll remember he talked about the Good Samaritan in helping us understand that love is more of an action and less of a feeling. And that love is demonstrated to the unlovely. And that our call as faithful followers of Christ is to model that kind of love. It's easy to love those who aren't broken, who aren't wounded, who aren't hurt, who are whole and pleasant and smell good and look good. But the lesson of last week in the Good Samaritan is that if we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we have an opportunity to live love to others. Today's uh, discussion, we're in the second of the fruit of the Spirit, and it is the fruit of joy. And I don't know about you, but when you think of joy, I immediately equate the word joy with the word happy. Uh, we think that they are synonymous. We think that if I am happy, I am joy-filled. If I am joy-filled, I am happy. And that's not always the case. Happy has to do with happenstance, with happenings, with situations. And there are times that situations create for us an emotion we call happiness. And there are times when we are less happy. But there's never a time, there is never a time that you and I cannot be joy-filled as followers of Jesus Christ. You say, Mitch, there are times I don't feel joy-filled. And I, I said, I understand that. It's less about a feeling and more about an action. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're going to look this morning briefly at the, at the fruit of joy. And we're going to distinguish it just a bit from the concept of happiness. <coughs> Because I believe in the study of God's Word that the concept of joy is richer, richer and deeper and wider than simple happiness or pleasantness based on an occasion or a situation. 
know that you and I, in the law of God, in the providence of God, we can be joy-filled at all times. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. We thank you for Paul and his word to the church in Galatia that we are studying today. To those first believers who needed to understand what sin looked like, he covered that. And then he covered what life in the spirit looks like. That changed dimension. And then he, he helped us understand and he helped them understand that we are to we are to demonstrate fruit. We are to act on fruit. And so, Father, in these moments that we have together, give me words that make sense to your children in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like you to make a note or two. Whenever I stand in, in for pastor, there are a couple of things I always start with. A couple of things that I think are noteworthy. Not that I'm asking you to take notes on what Mitch says. I am asking you to make note of what is important in our understanding of the Word of God. And the first note I would ask you to make, just write down the word why. Because you and I are faithful. We are faithful in Bible study. Some of us were here at 9 o'clock or 9.15 or 9.30 for Bible study. And you're faithful to be here at gathering at 10.30. And some of us are faithful on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights, and many of us are faithful in daily prayer and in God's Word. But if we don't understand the why behind our actions, then our actions tend to vary. And we may not be as faithful as God would have us to be. And so the why of what we're doing here today is in Matthew 22, 37-39. The why of what we're doing today, this assembly, this gathering, is in this text. And, and he said, Jesus said to the Pharisee lawyer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost command. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the why of your faith and my faith. And as I stand in for pastor, every time I start there. And then we need to look for what is the outcome? What are the outputs of that why? You and I are here as created beings and believers in Christ. We are here to glorify God and love one another. That is our why. That's why you're breathing and I'm breathing right now. But what are the outputs of that? Why? And there are three of them. There are three outputs that I want to briefly talk about this morning. The first output of that why of loving God and loving others is that people will come to Christ. There's a measure of that. It's called salvation. So there's a why, loving God, loving others. And the first output of that, or outcome of that, is people come to Christ. And we'll see that in the story this morning. Second, giving becomes cheerful. And I'm not always talking about, I'm not only talking about monetary giving, but I'm talking about giving your time and your talents. There is a cheerfulness that occurs when we love God and love others. 
That dimension creates for us more than happiness, but it creates joy. Joy in giving. And we'll see that in the text today as well. And finally, there's joy in the journey. Walk and keep on walking in the Spirit is the concept in the Galatians passage. The, the passage that we're jumping off from in the fruit of the Spirit, the pastor started last week. So if we love God, heart, soul, and mind, total commitment, that means it's also important that we love others. And when we do those two things, people come to Christ. Our giving becomes cheerful and joy-filled. And our journey is one of joy. Let me read the Galatians passage to us this morning. Galatians 5, 22-26. I'm reading the NASB, the New American Standard. It's the same Bible that you've got in the pew in front of you if you want to follow along. But let me just read that for us. But the fruit of the Spirit, and this comes after the previous verses are Paul is talking with the church in Galatia about what it means to be Christ-filled. And he's doing a contrast here. The previous verses are verses that talk about what it looks like to be a sinner. And then he comes to verse 22 and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And those are the previous verses. So he's now going back and connecting the dots for the church to help them understand that if we love God and we love others, our behavior is going to be different. And we've set aside the flesh. And if we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And the phrase there is keep on walking. It doesn't say walk and then stop, walk and then stop, walk and then stop. The verb is an ongoing walking. Keep walking in the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying one another. Our faith is not a point of pride. We see that today in the lesson I'd like to focus on, and that's in Luke chapter 19. So if you'll uh, take a moment and pick up God's Word and look at Luke 19. Now, let's start with an understanding of Luke 18. I always want to make sure we have context to the content. We hear people picking up God's Word today all over this nation and quoting it. Not always in context. So for believers like you and like me, we must understand the context of the content. And in chapter 18, Jesus is teaching His disciples. They are on the way to Jerusalem. They are on the way to crucifixion. They are on the way to death, burial, and resurrection. Yet the disciples do not know. And he continues to teach them in chapter 18. And he talks about prayer. He uses the example of a persistent widow. One might call this a gnat bite. 
You know, for those of us who grew up in the South, gnats are a part of our culture. You swallow them, you breathe them. They get in your nose, they get in your ears. If you're in a swarm of them, you cannot get rid of them. There is no ointment or cream to defend ourselves against gnats. They are a result of the fall of man, I am convinced. <laughs> and yet Jesus is teaching about a widow who was a gnat to the judge. Persistent. Daily. Persistent. Daily. He then teaches about the publican and the Pharisee. And he talks about those who seek salvation as being in self-righteousness. And I kept the law. I did everything I was supposed to do. And he shows the discrepancy between salvation as a gift versus salvation that is earned, which is impossible to do. This is also part of the passage where the children came to Jesus. Appropriate on Father's Day, little children showed up and wanted to sit in the master's lap. The disciples were a little bit put off by that. How dare you encroach upon our time with the teacher? Shoot. And Jesus said, suffer the children because that's what the kingdom is going to look like. You need this kind of faith, he said. Chapter 18, Jesus talks about the rich young ruler. A person who had wealth and means and power and lost it all. He talks about what he's going to face in Jerusalem. He tries to, as he does in each of the Gospels, help those 12 men and the people around him understand what was about to happen. They did not grasp it until well after the fact. And chapter 18 of the book of Luke closes with the healing of Bartimaeus. But what I want you to see in chapter 18 is that Jesus is moving through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem to his suffering and to his death and burial. And yet he's finding time to teach. He's finding time to heal. He's finding time to hug children. He's finding time to help people understand the life that they're living and why they're living it. He was never too busy and never distracted. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So now we can pick up in chapter 19, knowing that Jesus is walking, he's teaching, he's healing, and now we come to Zacchaeus. <laughs> in chapter 19 of the book of Luke. Now I know if you grew up in the church, as I did, or as our children did, there's a little ditty about Zacchaeus. We little man. You'll probably now sing that the rest of the day, those of you who know it. I've had it in my head all week as I prepared for today. I will not be singing it, however. But Zacchaeus is one of those stories that some of us know. But I want to share it today in the concept of joy. Because we're going to see joy in Zacchaeus. When he is in the presence of Christ, he is joy-filled. And that's usually when you and I have joy, is when we're in the presence of Christ. And the pastor's point 
with this teaching on the fruit of the Spirit is that we are always in the presence of Christ. There's not a time that you're not. There's a time I wish I wasn't. There's a time in the past when I thought I wasn't. But by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's not a time that you and I are out of the presence of Christ. And if the presence of Christ is that catalyst for joy, then you and I have the opportunity to live a joy-filled life. Yes, there'll be moments of great happiness in a joy-filled life. And yes, there'll be moments of great sadness. There'll be moments of testing and trial. But we have the opportunity to be joy-filled. Let's look at our brother Zacchaeus and see his joy. And then I'll close by connecting a couple of dots. Luke 19, verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Passing through the town. Walking down Main Street. And there was a man called by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. He was also hated. But we'll get to that. What a description to start our understanding of this man. He is a chief tax collector. We know his employment. We know his skill set. We know his competency. And we know his financial background. And his financial status. He's a chief tax collector and he is rich. And that's the way God's Word decides to begin describing this man to you and me. Now some of us have a vocation. Some of us retired from a vocation. But all of us know what work is. So we understand what work this man was doing. All of us in this room are rich. In our culture, it isn't the bank account that always determines the wealth of people, although that's a standard we use. No, you and I are rich in the world's economy. We have more, more than most of the world. We are rich. So there's a point of identification here between you and I and Zacchaeus in that we have a vocation, we have a job, we, have, we know what work is, and we are rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. You can imagine we're nearing the end of a three-year ministry and Zacchaeus, along with the people in Jericho and throughout the region, had heard of or seen who Jesus was. And Zacchaeus wanted to experience that himself. There's only so much you and I can discuss about what we do here on Sunday. There's only so much you can say about how wonderful the music is or how wonderful the fellowship is. Or did you go to Sunday school and how wonderful the Bible study was? There's only so much you and I can say about what occurs here on Sunday or Wednesday or Tuesday. No, people have to come and experience Jesus. And that's where you and I have an opportunity to live our life of loving God and loving others. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead. I'm sorry. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Now that's the third thing we know about this man. He's not very tall. He couldn't see over the crowd. 
So he, Zacchaeus, ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, that tree, under that tree, he looked up, Jesus looked up and said to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down. Don't you think that you'd hurry out of the tree? Do you think you'd hurry out of the tree? You can answer, yes or no. Do you think you'd have hurried out of the tree? Okay, some of you would still be in the tree. <laughs> but aren't some of us in the tree? We've come to see who Jesus is. We pray. We read His Word. We try to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we try to love others as ourselves. But where's the output? Are people coming to Christ? Is your giving cheerful? And is your walk joy-filled? Are we in the tree? And he hurried and came down and received him gladly, received Jesus gladly. And when they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Who do you think the they is? The people in the tree. Some of the apostles were the they. Some of the religious leaders of the day were the they. Because a man was coming to faith in Christ in a different way. Because Jesus called him and he responded. But he was hated. He's a tax collector. So people grumbled. And in the midst of that grumble, Zacchaeus stopped and said to Jesus, Behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, key words, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. A, a well-known Bible story has its own little ditty about Zacchaeus, a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed a tree to see and understand who Jesus was. But when Jesus called, he came down out of the tree. And his life was forever changed. And so was eternity for Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus didn't ask him, as far as we know, God's word doesn't say that Jesus said, what are you going to do about your money? What action are you going to take to show that you love him? No, he didn't say that. He just said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'd like to go to your house. Zacchaeus accepted Jesus, accepted into his home, and salvation was given. And as a result of that transaction, Zacchaeus changed his thinking. 
and changed his purse. So the lessons as we close our time this morning, remember the why, loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind is the first and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, love others as you would love yourself. And we learned last week in the Good Samaritan that that love is not a feeling, that love is an action. And there are three outputs from that kind of love. And first output that I suggested is that people will be saved. That's the Great Commission. We are to teach others about Jesus. And Jesus, for his part, was here to seek and to save that which was lost. So to connect the dot is one of the outputs is that when we are in the Spirit and we are having the fruit of the Spirit in manifesting itself in our lives, people are going to be saved. And Jesus is the one that is seeking to save them. And he sought and saved Zacchaeus. Second, uh, the change in Zacchaeus was immediate. And there was a manifestation of a changed life. And in the case of Zacchaeus, it was twofold. One, he changed his plans. I don't know that Zacchaeus planned for Jesus to be at his house that evening. He was just up a tree because he couldn't see. And he wanted to know who Jesus was. He didn't think Jesus was coming to his house. But he changed his plans at the master's bidding. And the second, the second manifestation wasn't just the change of his plans, but it was the change of his purse. He shared freely and more than was expected. And remember I said that the second output of our flock of loving God and loving others is cheerful giving. I don't have any thought that Zacchaeus was anything but smiling ear to ear as he told the Lord what he was going to do with his resources. Finally, it was joy that was the catalyst for that giving. Can you just see this man, small in stature, a person of authority, a person of leadership, a, a person of government, of some power. Can you, can you just see this man climbing up a tree and then climbing down a tree and changing his whole world within moments with an encounter with Jesus? Can you see the joy that caused him to plan differently, to give willingly? That's the joy of the fruit of joy. I know he was happy in that moment. You can just, you can just see it. But I think it was deeper, richer, wider. I think it was joy. And that joy came in the presence of Christ. So the question for you and me is, one, are we still in the tree? And two, are we joy-filled? Because we are eternally in the presence of Christ. 
There are those who would say that one, that if you're saved and you sin, you somehow lose that. I don't believe that at all. I think we are secure in the hand of Christ. I think we're secured further by the Holy Spirit living in my life and in your life. And I think that's what God's Word teaches us. So if that's what God is asking of us and sharing with us, that He is living with us and we are not apart from Him, then how are we going to manifest joy? Apart from Him, we cannot. So the lesson of Zacchaeus is that he learned to love God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. And the repayment was his first demonstration of loving others as he loved himself. And in doing so, he came to Christ. His gifting was cheerful and joy-filled. And his journey, I have to believe that we'll see Zacchaeus in heaven and understand from him that from that day forward, he lived a joy-filled existence, walking daily with Christ. Now that begs the question, really it's not about a tree and it's not about joy. It's about do you know Jesus? And do you have family that don't know Jesus? And do you have friends that don't know Jesus? And might you not know Jesus? And we can fix that today. Jesus came and he loved you so much that he gave himself willingly and freely for you and for me. It's a difficult concept, but it's so childlike as to be simple. That God loves us. That Jesus came to seek and to save us. And that he now enables us with the Holy Spirit. So if you have a question today about your salvation, I'll be after this, I'll be here after the service. Bill is here. Charlie's here, Harry's here, uh, Ralph is here, other deacons are here. We'd be happy to have you. Lord, we give you thanks for a day that we can gather in this place. Our gathering is not a surprise to you. You looked down through the corridors of time and you saw who would sit here today. Just like you know who will be here next week the week after, and the week after. And so, Lord, with that kind of God in front of us, we need not fear when you say, I'd like you to do this, or I'd like you to do that. We need not be afraid. You've already gone before us. Now, it might be difficult. It might not be easy. But you've still gone on before us. And so, Father, as we walk from this place today, help us to remember that our first priority is to love you, Father, with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And second to that, love others as we love ourselves. And if we do that, Lord, your word is clear. People will come to Christ. Our giving will be cheerful. And our walk will be filled with joy. Thank you for those promises and that assurance.
for your people in this place as we leave today and face our week. We love you, God. Amen. Thank you all. See you next week.